Ernest, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy-to-use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. I use it. You should go over and start using it now. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Back, y'all. It's episode five on the Leisure Podcast. Thank you again for all the support, all the feedback. Um, keep sending us in with the suggestions. We greatly appreciate it, and we'll try to get it into our uh, definitely into our topics. Um, we're gonna start right away with um, maybe a moment of silence, right? Yeah. So <laughs> we're gonna talk about Snapchat. Snapchat's interesting um, for a few different reasons, but. Yeah, he said a moment of silence because we, you know, we said like the death of Snapchat. The right? death of it, yeah. Like Snapchat, something I never really was was really keen on. I never really got on the snap. I never got on the Snapchat, but obviously it became very popular, especially yeah. amongst young people. Um, Instagram kind of took the features, yeah. a lot of it, most of it. So it becomes popular for that alone. Like, well, a couple of things. Number one was that it had the filters. Like most people, even like that were on Instagram, would go to Snapchat to get the features. 
um, the filters and put them on their, their posts. But another thing that they had, which actually works against them later in the future, is the, um, that their pictures, the content was only available for a short period of time. Yeah, 24 hours and then like disappeared and yeah. stuff like that. So, all right. So, Snapchat, before we even start talking about Snapchat, we got to go back to the last episode we talked about Kylie Jenner. Mm -hmm. So, she plays a major part in Snapchat as well because about a year ago, year and a half ago, she um, had an issue with Snapchat and she tweeted a pretty <laughs> negative tweet about yeah. Snapchat. And that, right after she tweeted that, the stock price dropped six percent. Yeah, it was their own doing though. Like I think they um they had an update. They updated and it changed the design of it the changed app. the design. So she tweets that she's leaving pretty much, or she's not feeling Snapchat anymore, and it's, the stock price dropped six percent the next day. Which is crazy. Which equals a one point three billion dollar drop. So she she dropped the company's value one point three billion dollars in one day off of one tweet. Simple tweet. Pretty powerful. So, um, first quarter of 2018, Snapchat had 191 million users. Second quarter of 2018, they had 188 million users. Mm -hmm. So, they were on a, a steady decline. 40%, um, they had a, a study that said 40% of their staffers were planning to leave. They have 3,000 employees. 40% of their staffers were planning to leave, which is almost half of yeah. their employees. Um, they still haven't made a profit yet. Yeah, they made some bad decisions. They haven't made a profit yeah. yet, right? And that's interesting, too, not to go off topic, but a lot of these companies that we see are not profitable and have never been profitable. So if you look at it from, like, a small business standpoint, it's like a small business. You can't run a bakery if you've never made a profit. Mm -hmm. But a lot of these multi-billion dollar companies have never made a profit, and they've been in existence for five years, six years. So it's interesting, like Uber yeah, or Lyft. <laughs> so, all right. So... But the interesting thing about it is that um, it was looking like the death of Snapchat, right? They um, wasn't looking good at all in 2018. But towards the end of 2018, they were able to actually pull themselves together. And they kind of stable. Um, they stopped losing users. So now people are saying, is this the rebirth of Snapchat? Kind of like um, Twitter. Mm -hmm. Like Twitter was kind of went through a similar situation where... For a while, people kind of thought they were dead. Yeah. And they had a resurgence. And now, you know, Twitter is moving up again. Yeah. But Snapchat still has a lot of problems, though. They, they, they have a lot of debt. They, um, they still haven't fully understood how to monetize their system yet because yeah. they're not profitable. Mm -hmm. Um, and they have their biggest competitor, which is Facebook. Right. right? So Facebook. Facebook is interested in the social media game because we've seen them take over. And like we talked last episode about Amazon. Right. Facebook might be the Amazon of social media, right? Yeah. So in 2013, they bought, they offer Snapchat $3 billion to buy them out. I think it was like $4 billion. Yes. Oh, right, three, yeah. four. They offered them that amount to buy them out. Yeah. And they didn't take the deal. Now, the reason why it's interesting is that the year before that, they paid one billion for Instagram, exactly. Right, and it, it was interesting at the time they brought Instagram for one billion because I remember the guy CEO of Instagram at the time his, he was on the cover of Forbes and they was like um, Instagram gets brought and this is the early stages of Instagram, um, so obviously they had the vision to to offer them one billion because it's actually a good deal looking at it now. But everybody was saying, why would you pay one billion for a company that never made any money? And they asked the CEO, they said, um, Instagram has never made any money, and he said that's not true. We just made a billion dollars. Right. 
So, yeah. so um, <laughs> you know, if you look at it from that standpoint. So they bought Instagram for $1 billion in, in 2012. Then they buy WhatsApp for $19 billion. We're just going to buy it for the competitors. In, in 2014. Now, people, especially in America, I don't think people fully understand the power of WhatsApp. But overseas, WhatsApp is huge. Like overseas, everybody uses WhatsApp. Yeah. It's, it's, and not just overseas, like people who have family. Well, that's what I'm saying. Right. Yeah, if you have, if, you, if you're trying to, because it's free. Yeah. And um, you know, you can you can do Facetimes, you can do calls, you can do um, text. Pretty much everything you do with a cell phone, you can do through the WhatsApp. Yeah. Um. So they paid 19 billion for WhatsApp. So when they offered Snap three billion, a lot of people were surprised that Snap turned it down. I said no, man. You say. <laughs> It's kind of hard to turn that's down tough. three billion dollars. That, that's, like, that's, that's so. That's that, tough. That's an interesting decision. That's tough. But the the, the risk that they run in that is to say, okay, either get down or lay down, right? Like yeah. remember Vine? Another moment of silence. So Vine, people don't even remember Vine anymore. Yeah, they had the eight second clips. They had the eight second video clips. That was yeah. it. That was their day. Yeah, and so like we so like what what happens is like Instagram and Facebook really. They look at these features. They say, "Oh, that's really cool." All right, the next update we're putting in on. No, they. So now that, that was so crazy. <laughs> Vine, Vine was all over the place. Within two months, Instagram took them out of business because they had an eight-second video clips. Instagram released ten-second video clips. I think fifteen first. I think it was ten at first. They, they, they took their their their. their it was disrespectful. Yeah, it was like one second more. Then they took the Snapchat filters too. No, no, no. I know, but yeah. I'm just saying. That Vine thing happened within three months, and Crazy. they were there was no more Vine. Great. So then they took Snapchat's filters and the stories and the, the thing, yeah. pretty much everything. <laughs> no apology. Yeah. And um, Snapchat has struggled since, right? You know, but there's an interesting thing also in Snapchat. In 2016, they get offered another deal from this company named Google, for 30 billion. You know what they say? No. They say no again. Wow. <laughs> Thirty billion this time. Google is like, listen, Facebook is our competitor. They have Instagram, they got WhatsApp. We're gonna try to we're gonna throw more money at them and offer them this, and again they say no. Wow. Well, there you have it. I mean the interesting thing is that the the stock IPO'd a few years ago at twenty seven dollars. Now it's at nine dollars. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things work again. So, like, when it started, it was, like, cool to have your content disappear, right? But what's happening is that social media influence, like, on Instagram, it actually works for your benefit now because people can go back in time and look I don't know at how you content. market it on, on – I don't know how you market yourself on Snapchat because it's it's such – it's so disposable. Right. It doesn't stay. Like, how could somebody look back at what you were trying to say if it's gone? They have challenges. But the stock – from the stock to go to 27 to 9 – it's pretty disturbing. And actually, last year, they was actually contemplating taking it off the stock market and making it private again, which hardly ever, I, ever happens. Yeah, I'm like, when you does that to, happen? Yeah, that hardly ever happens. So, uh, I don't know, man. Sometimes, you know, it's we always talk about um, not selling and, and keeping your independence, and I respect that, but it's a thin line. Sometimes you have to know when to sell yeah. and reinvent yourself, right? Like, it's a couple, like... Elon Musk is a perfect example of that, mm-hmm. right? So he starts with PayPal. He sells PayPal, I think, for like $200 million. Mm-hmm. He flips that into SpaceX and Tesla. Now he's one of the richest people in the world. Right. He could have just stayed with PayPal, but who knows if he would have reached the status that he's at now. Probably not. Same thing with Mark Cuban. Right. Right? Mark Cuban has, I forgot what his company was called, but it was a sports streaming type of Yeah, he was like one sport. of the first guys to do uh 
um, video for like for sports. sports. Yeah, Yahoo clips. buys it for a billion, a couple billion. Yeah, he flips that and he buys the Mavericks and all a lot of other companies. And yeah. now he's Mark Cuban. Shark on Shark Tank. So <laughs> buy more companies in business. Sometimes you have to know. It's like fighting, right? You gotta know when to walk away. You gotta mm-hmm. know when to fold. It's like poker. You should. What, what's your your analogy on on the parties? Like you gotta leave. Did nothing. Yeah. So <laughs> do that. that yeah, yeah. Tell them about that one. So I used to go clubbing a lot in my younger days. So I, I mastered the the club scene, and I I realized that nothing good happens after three a.m. That's when all the fights happen. Yeah. That's when everything gets settled sh- in at this yeah, point. Nothing happens at three four a.m. Yeah. Right. You might leave a party at two. And it might have a half an hour left of good partying. Yeah. But you had two and a half hours, right? So the risk of having a half an hour left is not worth the, well, the reward of having a half an hour of a good party is not worth the tremendously bad things that can happen <laughs> for that extra half an hour yeah. that you stay. We've seen some things. So you have to leave. Yeah, get out. You have to leave the get party out. at 2 a.m. So this is similar, whereas... Sometimes you can stay at the party for too long and, you know, you Disaster. wake up next day and like, what, what did I do? Yeah. So Snapchat, I don't know. It's an interesting story. We'll see. We'll follow it. But $30 billion, um, I don't know. That's tough. That's tough to turn down. Yeah, man. For a company that's never made any money. I don't know how. And it's not projected to make any money anytime soon. Somebody offers you $30 billion, you've never made a profit. Yeah. Difficult. Uh, somebody's going to learn from this. Hopefully them and then other companies will learn from it. Oh, it'll be a case study yeah. in Harvard. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, Snapchat, we'll see. We'll see what happens with Snapchat. Uh, okay. All right. We're going to move to a, a new segment of our. Here's a little story that must be told. Listen up, gangsters and honeys with your hair done. Best storyteller, thug narrator, my style's greater. All right. We're going to do this new segment. Is um. Like you said, we like to go into some case studies and some behind the scenes of sports entertainment that people don't really know about, but probably should. Um, and sometimes it gets swept under and overlooked. Um, and today we're going to talk about a gentleman named Junior Bridgman. Yes, Junior Bridgman. So Junior Bridgman is interesting for a few different reasons, right? You probably never heard of him before, but he was an ex-NBA player. Mm-hmm. He played from 1975 to 1987. So he had a pretty decent career. He played 12 years in the league. Yeah. Journeyman, um, you know, he wasn't a star player. but um, yeah. Six man at best, I think. Yeah. Uh, so at that point in time, NBA players, you know, they, they weren't making tremendous amounts of money. And good income for that time frame, but nothing how we know now. $100 million contract, stuff like that. Yeah. He wasn't making that. So, um he actually reached his peak salary of 350000 in 1985, right? So he's an interesting person because a lot of times we talk about athletes and entertainers and how they make bad decisions with their money and they make a lot of money. And then when they retire, they're broke or they have to file for bankruptcy. So he, um, as I said, you know, mid-level player, he made decent money, but not a tremendous amount of money. Mm. So towards the, the tail end of his career, he starts planning – for his future outside of basketball, right? Because yeah. he knows that basketball is only going to last so long and it's going to run up eventually. Yeah, he started starting not to cut you over, in, in 1985, so he was making 350000 But in the off-season, he still had a job. Like He was selling life insurance. Like Most people didn't, would think, like, NBA play? Like, what is he doing? But like, he had to earn more income. Yeah, so 
he starts, so he gets introduced to the franchise game, right? Um, fast food franchises. And he starts to study franchises in the offseason. And he actually um, starts to work at a local Wendy's. And this is interesting, right? So he starts to work at a local Wendy's in the offseason. So at the time, it's kind of a weird situation because you have an NBA basketball player who's working in Wendy's, right? But he didn't work in Wendy's, obviously, because he needed the money. He worked in Wendy's because his plan was to buy a Wendy's franchise, and he wanted to learn the inner workings and the culture of the actual business. So he's figured what better way to learn about it than to actually work in the franchise. Yeah, I think he had a love for burgers or something like that. So he starts to work in Wendy's. By the time he retires, he has three Wendy's franchises, right? In the next 15 years, he turns those three Wendy's franchises into 160 Wendy's franchises mm -hmm. and also 120 Chili's franchises. So he had 160 Wendy's franchises, which made him the second largest franchisee holder for Wendy's in the world. Mm -hmm. Not in America, in the world. He owned the second amount, the second largest amount of Wendy's in the world out of anybody. Um, he also brought in a, another legend, well, an NBA legend, yeah. um, Chauncey Billups. Yeah, so 2013. 2013. Um, Chauncey's at the tail end of his career, but wants to go into the entrepreneur world and knows about, um, Bridgman and he says, can you help me? Yeah. So him and Chauncey buy 30 Wendy's. Yeah. But, not just 30. So, like, they buy 30 Wendy's in the St. Louis area, which pretty much is every Wendy's in St. Louis. They buy it in every restaurant in the city of St. Louis. That's pretty remarkable. Yeah. <laughs> so, he, he ends up, his last, his biggest salary was 350000 right? He ends up owning 160 Wendy's, he, 120 Chili's, and he amasses a net worth of $400 million. In the process. Yeah. But that's not the end of the story. No, the story gets better. Okay. So we're going to go from City, St. Louis. In 2016, um, he wants to go bigger, bigger vision. So we know he decides that he's going to look into Coca-Cola. And 2016, he buys a company. He starts with a company, Heartland Coca-Cola Bottling. And that takes over the region of the Midwest, Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska. And he becomes a distributor for Coca-Cola in that region, Right. And that grosses even more money, okay? Story doesn't end there, though. So after that, he partners um, with a gentleman in Canada to take over uh, Coca-Cola Canada. So he went from St. Louis, the city, to taking over Midwest region of distributing, to taking over the country of Canada's bottling and distributing for Coca-Cola. So he sells his Wendy's franchises right. and buys Coca-Cola. Distrib right. Distribution centers. Right. In Canada. Well, in the Midwest. I think he has 18 in Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska. Um, and then from there, he takes over the entire distribution uh, facilities for Canada. Which is crazy. And then right now, like present day, I think he's in talks. Like he might be the front runner to buy Sports Illustrated. Like it's up for sale. I think he, uh, him and Dan Gilbert, who's the owner of the Cleveland Cavs, are like the finalists to, to buy the company in He's a leading candidate to buy Sports Illustrated, a magazine he probably hasn't been in, what, since maybe the 80s? So, okay. So I heard Dane Dash say something 
few weeks ago. He said, y'all, y'all sell records, I sell companies. Right. And that's kind of what we, we spoke about even with Snapchat as far as, um, a lot of times in business, part of business is building a legacy, building a company and keeping it. But another part of it is building it and selling it and then moving on to the next thing. Right. So that's pretty much what he did, what he's doing. Right. Yeah. He's constantly moving up the ladder by leveraging his businesses. He's building businesses and then he's selling businesses. And another thing that's interesting about his story is that a lot of times people, you know, they ask, how do you become an entrepreneur? How do you start a business? You don't always necessarily have to start a business to be a business owner or to be an entrepreneur, right? right. So he's an entrepreneur, he's a business owner, but it's not, he doesn't own Wendy's, but he owns, he owned a lot of them. Yeah. He owns, you know, Coca-Cola in a sense by owning different um, centers and distribution. It's yeah. not his company, but that's another way to go about it as well. Franchisees yeah. owning franchises. We know LeBron um, owns some Blaze Pizzas. Yeah. Um, so we've seen this play before, and and that's the one of the good things with you know buying into an established business already is that you're not reinventing the wheel, right? They have a set formula in place, so that's another avenue. Yeah. You know, if somebody's looking to get into business, um, but they don't necessarily want to start everything. From the ground up, yeah, it's to, to exactly. Yeah, and like he's like, it's a play on words, but like he's a real franchise player, right? Like he owns a bunch of franchises and sells them. But like in our world, in sports world, franchise player is the per, the most dominant and the best player on a team. But like this guy has another player on it. Like he is a franchise, and he's, he's somebody that you probably, I I'm almost sure that nobody's heard of him. Yeah, Yo, I mean, but even like franchise, you remember like early maybe mid two thousands. Like we, we sat down and, um, we were trying to like get money together to get a franchise. And it was like this ice cream company that no one quite heard of. And then like two years later, that becomes Cold Stone. Like, so we had that vision. And yeah, sometimes it doesn't work, but that doesn't mean you stop. Like, no. come, let's start a new vision. And even Rick Ross, right? We look at, we look at somebody like Rick Ross who, um, and I made a post about that as far as like the importance of family business where he owns, I don't know how many, but he owns a lot of, um, wing stops. Yeah. And he also owns checkers now. And his, his family, his sister and his mom, um, they help run a lot of the locations. So that's somebody else. Yeah, he's who, just not saying it's feeding lemon pepper for no reason. Right? right. That was wings in his store. Right. And he, he's not, you know, he could have opened his own restaurant. Yeah. But he chose to go with an established line that he believed in, that he already was, you know, eating yeah. on a regular basis. <laughs> And there's nothing wrong with that. A lot yeah. of times, you know, we look at it like if it's not 100% something that we started ourselves, we have to get out of that mindset because um, collaboration works in a lot of different ways, right? Yeah. So you can collaborate with somebody you know or you can collaborate with somebody that you don't know. But if it's mutually beneficial, that's what business comes down to. So you don't have to do everything yourself. And we could break that down on a micro level as far as just, you know, having business partners or you know, a lot of times you feel like you have to do every single thing yourself or you have to have a complete control of the situation. And that's not always beneficial. You know, um, you can learn from other people's success and you can duplicate their success. There's nothing new under the sun. So it's important not to feel ashamed or embarrassed if you're not actually starting the idea yourself because it can still be successful. You can still make a lot of money. You can still employ people. You can still be beneficial and yeah. do good things. And there's valuable lessons. Like when he originally started doing the Wendy's and working in there, customers were coming in and laughing. Like this is an NBA player. This is what he succumbed to, but not realizing like his vision is long term. Right. Like I'm going to turn this and now you're in the store that I own. How many of his of people that he was playing with on the offseason was going out, 
partying, right. blowing their money, and probably laughing at him as well, right? Exactly. Like, and now look at him. So yeah, delayed, probably, delayed gratification is another another thing as yeah, well. They're probably drinking the products that he's he's buying, which is that's kind of crazy, man. All right. Okay. So yeah, that's 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 interesting. That's an interesting um examination of an entrepreneur. Uh, so we want to jump into the political realm a little bit. Yeah. Um, we had an interesting um, few weeks. Um, and one in particular, um, Cory Booker has announced that he's running for president. For those who are not familiar, Cory Booker was uh, the mayor of the city of Newark. Um, he is now a senator in New Jersey. And um, he has fought for criminal justice reform. He's fought for uh, housing um reform and um he's had some some pretty interesting ideas and uh, we're going to touch on one of those ideas cory book is interesting for a few different reasons but you know he used to live in the projects when he was the mayor of newark by choice for like a year yeah by choice yeah yeah if, if anybody like he has an interesting story on um if anybody's ever watched netflix explain um the racial wealth gap i think it's the last episode of season one and uh, he tells a story about how his family came into wealth and the importance of owning homes um, which is why he fights for it. But by choice, he, he said, I'm going to live in a project. In one of the worst projects. Yeah, in Newark. In Newark. And he lived there for yeah. a year. So some people called it a gimmick, but you still live there. <laughs> he did it. Like right now, he said he lives in a basement in D.C. Like, he, yeah, he owns a home in Newark, but he's humbled himself. Like, listen, man, I have a landlord in D.C. Like, that's just how I'm living right now. I'm a, I'm a single man. Remember when Mark Zuckerberg gave... Newark, a hundred million dollars for the school district. Right. Whatever. What happened with that? Uh, I, who's the man? Ross Baraka. Ross Baraka. Now, I think they. You know what they they um they did invest it. They had new t- um, it was for education, right? Yeah. Yeah. The they they district. they built some some um some some pretty decent academies in Newark. Um, and he was on the Breakfast Club speaking about um some of the growth they've seen. Okay. Uh, with well, their students, so we, we we can't just dismiss. No, it. I didn't dismiss. I, think, it. I, I was just wondering what happened. It was a uh, Governor Christie at the time. Yeah. Chris, okay. Yeah. Um, but no, nah, I wasn't dismissing. It. I was just, I just, I didn't hear anything since that had happened. I think it happened on Oprah. But right. all right. Yep. So Cory Book is interesting for a few different reasons. But um, one of the things that so okay, he announced that he's running for president, right? So you know, when you announce you're running for president, then you start to say different things that you want to do, you want to implement stuff like that, which you're running on your platform. So we talked about the racial wealth gap in this country and how disturbing it is yeah. right i think on episode two um so now it's interesting to see because some of the candidates are proposing different ways to kind of bridge that right and, and to to lessen that that racial wealth gap so he has a he has an interesting idea and his idea is for baby bonds yeah so he wants every baby so right now right now we talked about the, the racial wealth gap for Adults, families, right? And right. off the top of my head, I think it was like the average black family has a um, net worth of seventeen hundred, and the average white family has a net worth yeah. of one hundred and sixteen thousand. Yeah, he, well, he was on the Breakfast Club, I think maybe last this week, and he went further on to that Bostonian article we were talking about, where the average white family in Boston is uh, net their net worth is two hundred fifty thousand, and the average uh, black family is eight dollars in Boston. In Boston. Eight dollars. Eight dollars. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Eight dollars, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, let that sit in for two seconds. So, all right. So he had even. A, so now, what's even interesting when I was reading the article 
that he's proposing with the baby bonds is that so the wealth, the net worth for young people, so 18 to 25, the average white person's net worth is $46,000. And the net worth for young people, 18 to 25, average black person's net worth is $2,900. Yeah, we spoke about net worth. No, we did speak about yeah. it, but we spoke about it for families. Right. Not, so that's actually, that's actually shocking to me because I don't, I've knew very few people 25 and under that had net worths of $46,000. No, I didn't either. So, yeah. but they said that's the average net worth for a white person, 18 to 25. So what happens is that the white person's net worth families, it actually increases, right? As they get older, yeah. but, the black, if you notice, the black net worth actually decreases because mm. the black family's net worth is seventeen hundred, but the average black young person's net worth is twenty nine hundred. So it actually goes down. So yeah. it gets worse as you get older. Yeah, there's one thing that we know about wealth that is going to be true: wealth grows and grows and grows. Right? Being rich, yeah, you could make some mistakes and that will take you out of that curve. But wealth will continue to grow. Right. So what he wants to do is have. A thousand dollar baby bond. So every baby that's born into America, every single baby gets one thousand dollars when they're born, right? And then it's depending on your income. So if your family makes under a hundred, if your family makes under one hundred twenty-six thousand dollars a year, you will get up to two thousand dollars added to that bond every year until the child turns eighteen. No, it's so the the account is a savings account that's going to be managed by the treasury. Right, treasury so it's department just like, is yeah. earning three percent. Yeah, average. But the, so the right, so like it, they project if it does three percent, but it's so if at that rate, if somebody's family income uh, is over one hundred twenty five, they don't get anything. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, no, you get a thousand dollars when you're born. When you're born, right? But after that, you don't get anything. Right, exactly. But. And even the two thousand dollars is the most that you can get. Yeah. So it's like a sliding scale. So if you make a hundred thousand, then you might get five hundred dollars, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're below the poverty line, then the most you can get is two thousand. The child's gonna yeah, get two thousand. Like the federal um, poverty line, I believe, is twenty five thousand. So like that family, that family of four, that they stay at that rate. By the time the child has gotten to eighteen, um, then I think it's like forty eight thousand so, dollars. So, so what like happens that. is that so right so right now. The wealth gap between young people, um, whites and blacks is, is 16 times. So white young people have 16 times the net worth of black young people. So what this new proposal will do will actually lessen that to one to four. So it's still not equal, but it'll have the average white person's net worth will be 79,000, 18 to 25. Mm -hmm. And the average black person's net worth, eighteen to twenty-five, will be fifty-seven thousand. Okay. So, what they're saying is that this this can actually change the course of the wealth gap and almost erase it within a generation. Right. right? The thing about it too is that so people ask to talk about reparations. So this it plays in line with reparations because. It's been proven that the easiest way to do it would be through reparations, right? Reparations is to give black people, give Spanish people, just give them money, right? right? But obviously, politically, that's very hard to get through, right? So this is a way of, of reparations, but it's not race-based, right? Right, Because everybody is for everybody, but since proportionally black and Latino families are more impoverished right. than white families. 
even though it's for everybody, right. it will proportionally affect black and Latino families it's, at a higher rate. Exactly. It's like when he did prison reform, right? Like he changes laws for imprisonment, right? And it's for everybody, but it proportionally helps people of color because they're the ones who, right. who, who, more, suffer, who more. suffer more. Right. So, so this is an interesting take on the reparations argument because, as I said, it's not something that you're just giving to one group of people. You're actually giving it to everybody, but it's going to affect one or two groups of people a lot more. Now, the thing about it is that it's only going to be for young people, for people that are born. Right now. They, they're still trying right to Right now, yeah. yeah. So it won't affect like adults mm -hmm. or even, you know, teenagers or whatever it'll be. So you'll have to wait a generation before they actually see the effects of it. Yeah. And another interesting thing is to see, you know, education, I think, has to be tied into it as well because, okay, if you, it's great to have. I think the idea is a good idea. Yeah. But if somebody turns 18 and they have $40,000 and now they have access to that, yeah. right, we don't want them just to spend it. So that's the one of the things. So, like, we explained it's a four-step program. So we ex pretty much explained the first three steps. So step one was you get the $1,000, the Treasury takes it into your account. Step two is through the tax code, children will receive 2000 based on the income of the family. Third one is the fund sits there in the account for 3%, hopefully annually. And that fourth step is that the account holder can't access it until they're 18, and it has to be for a usable reason. It has to be for education, or it has to be for the purchase of a home, or if they keep it there, it could be for retirement later on. So they have to have specific reasons why they're taking it out. They, they just can't they take can't it out. They can't just take it out. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I think it's a great idea. But th this is this is not the first time we've seen an idea like this. No, like, Hillary Clinton. She tried it. And then, like, as soon as her campaign got no, started little, off, little it was like, ah, little, let's little, scrap it. Little known fact. Hillary Clinton, 2005. Uh, uh, right I think there. 2007, I think. When she was running the first time. Yeah. It, she, she That she was tried, in her proposal. Yeah, no, it was. And they quickly scrapped it. <laughs> yeah. Quickly. Yeah. Tony Blair tried this in, in UK. Tony Blair actually implemented it. And and yes, as soon as he left office, scrapped. Done. We're the done. Conservative Party. Okay, so the UK, Tony Blair was the Prime Minister of the UK. So reparate when we talk about reparations, this isn't something that a lot of times people don't fully understand the concept of reparations, right? Other people have been given reparations, right? Mm -hmm. We we've seen um we've seen Japanese. Americans mm -hmm. get reparations from Ronald Reagan. We've seen um, Jewish people get reparations from the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's something that politic. It's not as far fetched as it's, it's made out to be, right? Mm -hmm. And people realize, as I said before, that the, the racial wealth gap is something that, if anybody's intelligent, they understand that that is it's a problem, and it's not something that just affects only black people. It spills over, yeah. so it's in everybody's interest to try to fix the problem. And this is a worldwide problem. So mm -hmm. when Tony Blair implements it in in Britain, mm -hmm. and then the Conservative Party comes and they just eliminate it because they say now it's like welfare and you're giving you know poor people just you know that that's something that is done out of ignorance, right? Because if the goal is to actually make up for things that were done in the past yeah. that have systematically held hold people back, yeah. then the only way to really reverse that is to have a systematic thing put in place to help those people. Yeah. It's just, it's not out of charity, it's just the right thing to do, yeah. right? So, yeah, so we have seen this um, before, and it's not as far-fetched as people think because 
It was put in place in the UK, even though it was reversed. And Hillary Clinton, who had a very good chance of actually becoming president, yeah. um, had it as one of her campaign points, even though she quickly scratched it. So we'll see where this reparation argument goes. Um, cause there's another candidate, I believe, that she wants to actually do reparations. Mm. Different. So everybody has different ways about it, how they want to do it. But I think the baby bond idea is interesting. At the yeah, very yeah. least, it is interesting. Because yeah. it, it, it really is about equity, right? So everybody starts at a, a playing field. And as you'll see, like, the people who need it more will be. So the, the argument will be like, who, how do you pay for it? Like, where's the money coming from? Well, that, right? Then he has to explain that. Right. That'll, yeah. be, that'll be the argument. Because, yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody will be opposed to people, you know, babies getting money. But where is this money coming? That's a lot of money. You yeah. get every baby a thousand dollars, and then it'll, it'll come into it. Well, if their parents aren't citizens, is that how do they get their account? You know, there's a lot of issues there, right? That they might bring. It's up. a lot of issues that yeah. can be raised. But a, um, I, the idea, I think, is great. No, it's a great idea yeah. on, on surface. So yeah. we'll see. Um, like I said, the political environment is very interesting right now. Um, you know, a lot of people are running for president. They are announcing that they're running for president. Mm-hmm. We have a. Um, Black female. Yep. And announced. We have Cory Booker, who's a black male, that announced. Um, and, you know, I'm sure as the weeks unfold, we'll be having more and more people from the Democratic Party and Independent Party that um, will announce their, their run for president. Then, of course, you have the current president, Donald Trump, who I'm pretty sure he will be seeking re-election. Mm-hmm. So we'll be, it'll be interesting to see. But economic definitely plays a major part in the political game. So that's the thing, too. Um, we can't separate the two, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times people, you know, say, okay, well, I'm not voting. If you decide to vote or not, that's your personal decision. But we can't just say, I just want to focus on economics and not politics. Or I want to focus on politics and not economics. Yeah, they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. Yeah, it's hand in hand. Economic empowerment is political empowerment. Yeah. You can't, you can't separate the two. All right. Okay. Uh, final words? Um, yeah. So, we, we spoke about Cory Booker and what he's done for, um, obviously, the uh, school to prison pipeline, uh, systemic um, racism when it comes to terms of imprisonment um, and in immigration. And um, what we've seen in the past couple of weeks, maybe last week, we saw Meek Mill and Michael Rubin and Robert Kraft and Jay-Z um, create reform, which is great for criminal justice um, and Within that week, we also see um, a young black male be picked up by ICE for immigration. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, but I know that, you know, they're putting some support behind him. 21 Savage. 21 Savage. So we'll, we'll see that maybe, you know, this case may spark some immigration reform. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. So, I mean, it's unfortunate that this happened. Yeah, I know he has a family, three, about three kids. Um, and he's, I think he filed for citizenship. In, in Saying like four years, it's yeah, been pending been, for like pending. four or five years, yeah. something like that. Um, so, I mean, it's just unfortunate. Um, so, hopefully, you know, reform started the criminal justice thing, and hopefully we'll see something that, that happens to immigration as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. we'll see, we'll see. Um, all right, all right, guys. So, once again, thank you for rocking with us. Um, we will see you guys next week. Yeah, man. Peace. Yeah. We give you the game. Now you got to go out to your neighborhood and give it right back. It's like Kendrick said. That's a fact.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.